Welcome to Office Hours, a social science podcast produced at the University of Minnesota, featuring conversations with prominent scholars, researchers, and other movers and shakers in the social world. In this episode, Dr. Abigail C. Segui joins us to talk about her excellent new book, What's Wrong with Fat? Abigail is an associate professor of sociology and gender studies at the University of California, Los Angeles and the chair of the ASA section on the sociology of the body and embodiment. We discuss the difficulty of talking about fatness, the way being fat is framed as a problem, the potential for removing the stigma, and what can be learned from coverage of Chris Christie's lap band surgery. joining us. My pleasure. In the introduction of your book, you spent some time discussing the language you're going to use throughout it. For instance, how you're going to use terms like fat and obese. And this seems like a really useful place for us to start our podcast as well. So how do we talk about this without reifying a particular discourse or negative view? And why is there seemingly so much confusion over how to speak about people's body weight? There's a lot of stigma and discrimination against people who are heavy. And so unsurprisingly, there's confusion mm-hmm. and disagreement about how to best talk about it. In my book, I avoid using the word obese, obesity, overweight, unless okay. I'm talking about how other people use those terms. Mm-hmm. And the reason I do so is because the, one of the main goals of this book is to problematize the common ways of talking about fatness as yeah. a medical problem and a public health crisis. Mm-hmm. And the term obesity, obese, overweight, all, all of these terms take for granted this medi- what I call a, a medical frame or, yeah. or a public health crisis frame. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, you know, try to imagine someone who is obese and healthy. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't, it's inconceivable. It doesn't make sense because the word obesity already implies yeah. medical pathology. And so mm-hmm. it makes certain things unthinkable. And these are precisely the things that I'm trying to get people to think about it. How, why do we medicalize, pathologize fatness? Is there another way of talking about it? Mm-hmm. Overweight, over what weight? You know, overweight. It assumes that there is a normative weight, there's a good weight, and one can be over that weight, and being over that weight is, again, a medical problem. Mm-hmm. And so I, in the book, I use the term fat and fatness. As mm-hmm. you said, the title of the book is What's Wrong with Fat? And this is not a perfect solution either, because yeah. as you know, fat, fatness, this is a very loaded term, has a lot of negative connotation. Yeah. But I'm taking a cue from the fat acceptance movement okay. that has reclaimed fat and fatness as a neutral descriptor. Mm-hmm. This is a common tactic of social movements. So we, s- we saw this with the black power movement, yeah. reclaiming black as a neutral or even positive term with queer mm-hmm. and we see it also with fat. I sometimes, as I did earlier, talk about heavy or heavier. Sometimes I use the word corpulence. Other words that people use, I don't use because they, others have argued and I agree, they're euphemistic, Mm -hmm. which also implies that there's something wrong with fat. And often they're very gendered. 
So Rubenesque, very okay. gendered, yeah. don't have a Rubenesque man, mm -hmm. or plus size. Again, gendered, and it also leaves out people who are above plus size. I find this very interesting because it's one of those topics where there isn't always a lot of conversation about what language means or what, what's okay. And if you think about comedians and you compare this to something like race or gender, where people react to saying, well, those type of jokes present a negative view, this is still one of the areas that comedians constantly make fun of, or in sitcoms or movies, and there really isn't re any reaction to it. Absolutely. There is rampant discrimination yeah. on the basis of body size, and it's largely taken for granted. We still live in a very racist, homophobic, sexist society. Yeah. We should, there should be no you know, illusions about that. Mm -hmm. But increasingly, at least among progressives, there's an yeah. understanding that that is a problem and that yeah. we need to do something about it. And we have not yet arrived at that level of awareness uh, when it comes to fatness. And in fact, we are in the midst of a burgeoning discourse of ob on obesity and the obesity epidemic and that this is a major public health crisis. And that discourse takes for granted, again, the idea that it is a problem. It is a medical problem. It is a social problem to be heavy. And the solution is making fat people thin, as opposed to, for mm -hmm. instance, making thin people less prejudiced yeah. against fat. So in the book, you focus a lot on how obesity is framed. I was wondering if you could explain what you mean by framing and then what that allows you to do as a sociologist studying this topic rather than someone in the medical field, like you're, what you're saying is one of the dominant ways of studying. Yeah, so I don't talk about how obesity is framed. Mm -hmm. I talk about how fatness is framed because I consider obesity is already a frame, yeah. right? And so I'm trying to take a step back. And the obesity frame, or what I call the medical or public health crisis frame, mm -hmm. is so taken for granted. People don't even think that they're using a frame when they say obese, obesity, mm -hmm. overweight. They assume that they're talking about a fact something that is given by nature, God, yeah. what, what have you. Mm -hmm. And what I try to do in the book is denaturalize that mm -hmm. and say, let's take a step back and think about how and why we talk about fatness. And so this is the framing yeah. that there's, with any issue, there's multiple ways that we can frame it. So if you think about a picture frame, there's certain things that are in that frame and other yeah. things that are going to be left out of it. Mm -hmm. So um, the concept originally comes from Goffman. Mm -hmm. He's talking more about interactional situations. So if you are see some a guy running down the street with a gun and screaming, I'll blow your freaking head off, yeah. what's going on? How do you frame that situation? Crime scene. Then if you see there maybe film yeah. people below, oh, that wasn't a crime scene, it's actually... A movie. Yeah. So, so people who study social movements have also talked about how social movements frame issues mm -hmm. in certain ways with a political agenda. And so we can think about abortion. Is abortion uh, about a woman controlling her own body? Mm -hmm. If so, that has implications for whether we think it should be acceptable or legal. Yeah. If, on the other hand, it's framed as murder of another being, then that has very different implications for whether this should be acceptable. And that shows so well even how that tiny language shift 
reveals the frame. With the abortion example of uh, pro-choice versus right to life. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And so, you know, as sociologists, I think one of the area, interesting areas of social life is the way in which different frames become embedded or implied by different language. Mm-hmm. I mean, language matters, words matter, symbolism matters, and it has material implications for people's lives. And so you could study this in many different areas, and, mm-hmm. and I try to show it for fat an area that isn't being questioned yeah. by many. You know, so it's taken for granted. And so you can think about fatness as a medical problem, and then that's going to have implications. People need treatment. They need to f- change their bodies. They, they, maybe they need to take drugs or have surgery. You can think about it as a that's the medical frame, or you can think that it's a public health crisis problem. That's become very dominant since, but only since about 2000. Yeah. If it's a public health crisis, then individual attention, for an indi- you know, a doctor treating an individual patient isn't sufficient. Mm-hmm. We need to have collective action, government action, to change population weight, to change pe- behavior, to bring about a change in population weight. But fatness could also be framed as a civil rights issue in which the problem is not that people, individuals, or the society as a whole is too fat and therefore unhealthy, the problem is that there's bigotry and discrimination on the Mm -hmm. basis of body size. And the solution is not to make fat people thinner, but to make the society at large more tolerant and even celebrate body size diversity. So you can see, just as with the abortion example, depending on how we frame this issue has very different implications for policy as well as for individual interactions and behaviors and for people's lives. Mm -hmm. We're all affected by this issue in different ways. Those who are heavy, especially women, are most um, penalized by this, face discrimination, they're taunted, they are their dignity is denied on an everyday basis with strangers Mm -hmm. and intimate relationships with doctors. Those who are thinner, uh, many, as, again, especially women, although this affects men, especially gay men, mm-hmm. live in fear of becoming fat. And this can also be a real tyranny in their lives. And yeah. so these symbolic distinctions have huge material mm-hmm. consequences. So that leads us into chapter two, where you discuss three dominant ways that weight is framed as a problem. And then you also talked about the three counterframes. You've already spoken about the medical frame, um, and you've also spoken about the public health frame. I'm wondering if you could take a little time to talk about the third way that fatness is framed as a problem. The third frame that I discuss is um, the, a morality frame, and this is historically antecedent comes first. Mm-hmm. So fatness used to be valued mm-hmm. in the Peter Stearns in his book Fat History yeah. shows that at the end of the 19th century, it was considered beautiful and desirable, Mm -hmm. especially for women, to be heavy, and that it's about the turn of the century that it becomes cast as immoral for a variety of historical reasons that he lays out in Mm -hmm. his book. Um, There's this history is somewhat contested. There's a, a new book coming out. But it's very clear, at least, that it that we start seeing a strong moral argument about fatness at the beginning of the 20th century as mm-hmm. a sign of sloth and gluttony. Okay. And this has not gone away. Now it's combined with the medical and public health crisis frame. And so okay. people talk about 
people eating themselves to death. They're eating too much, they're gluttonous, they're slothful, yeah. and it has medical implications. Mm -hmm. But uh, in the book, I try to, and, uh, d to distinguish between these different kinds of blaming and, mm -hmm. and, and framing. I've seen that discourse, especially now with discussion of funding health insurance, where it becomes not only that medical discourse being used, but also the moral issue. And it seems like it, it bears a lot of similarity to the way people have talked about welfare and, and um, social benefits like that in the past. Absolutely. And we should remember that it's the same population, that uh, weight is highly correlated mm -hmm. with economic status. This is especially true for women. In Chapter 3, I talk about different blame frames. Mm -hmm. Once we consider, among people who uh, take for granted that being fat is a medical problem, a public health crisis. Who's blamed? Who's held responsible? Mm -hmm. And so I call these blame frames, and I identify three different ways of assigning blame and responsibility. The most dominant one in the U.S. context is that of personal responsibility. And here, it's the individual fat people who just can't push away from the table. And it's often the same people, and the discourses are very similar in terms of the welfare queens yeah. and the p and just poor people in general and mm -hmm. their insatiable appetites. And it's very raced as well as classed. And it politically, it is used to say, well, should we be giving these food stamps? They don't need more food. Look at them. They're clearly eating too much. And so it becomes a way of blaming the poor for their misfortune for their health problems, as opposed to recognizing the way in which, for instance, economic inequality or poverty leads to uh, poor health outcomes, and also in ways that are sometimes related to uh, heavier weight. Have you seen much regional variation in how the frames are applied or or who receives blame, either within the United States or comparison to other countries? So I did a comparison between France and the United States, mm -hmm. and my expectation was that there would be more of a, an emphasis on personal responsibility in the United States mm -hmm. than in France, because the United States is has that tradition. There's, yeah. there's a stronger discourse of people need to pull themselves up by the bootstrap. At personal responsibility, and especially since... Reagan, there's mm -hmm. been an intensification. Some refer to this as neoliberalism. Yeah. And um, in France, there's, there's a stronger tradition of solidarity, of state intervention, of a stronger tradition of socialism mm -hmm. and, uh, and collectivism. And so that, so that was the expectation, and it was borne out. In the United States, there, the, when we, we had a, I looked at my graduate students at a comparative sample of news reporting in each country. And in the U.S., there was almost twice as much emphasis on personal responsibility okay. as on um, social and cultural factors, both in terms of the blaming, but also in even more so when it came to holding people responsible, who mm -hmm. even in cases in the in American reporting where there was discussion of social structural factors or discussion of culture, the solution was always individual. So in France, there's also quite a bit of discussion about personal responsibility, but there's twice as much discussion of social structural factors. Okay. And when it comes to solutions, there's much more discussion about government intervention than individual mm -hmm. solutions. 
Now, in more recent work that I'm doing with a couple of French collaborators, we're actually looking at whether this translates into different policies, and it's not clear that it does, that mm -hmm. the actual policies that are being implemented focus more on changing individual behavior than on, for instance, addressing inequality. But that's, mm -hmm. that's for future work. Oh, okay. And in the book, you also discuss a number of counterframes that are presented. Would you mind discussing a few of those for us? Sure, yeah. So one I've already talked about, which is the civil rights frame, and yeah. it's one that I find quite interesting because we have a strong tradition in the United States of talking about discrimination, group-based discrimination. In my first book, I looked at how sexual harassment is framed differently in the U.S. and France, and in the U.S., it was framed in terms of discrimination and in France in terms of sexual violence. Mm -hmm. But here, there's very little discussion about weight-based discrimination. And I think this is largely because the other frames of medical problem and public health crisis frame are so dominant. And yeah. the assumptions that they, they're in taken for granted assumption is that we have to make fat people thin, which yeah. goes counter to the idea of we need to accept people at their weight rather than try to change them. So the, the two other frames mm -hmm. that I talk about yeah. are the beauty frame mm -hmm. in which I mean, this comes from the idea of Rubenesque and yeah. in fact the idea of fat is beautiful especially in women has a long long history yeah. and so some are trying to reclaim that and um, and fat, fat admirers are men mm -hmm. who are sexually attracted and romantically attracted to, to fat women and have have written fiction and mm -hmm. essays about this attraction, about the beauty of, of fat women. There yeah. are also female fat admirers. Mm -hmm. the, and in popular culture, you have uh, songs like Bicycle Ride or Fat, yeah. fat Bottom Girls mm -hmm. or Baby Got Back, which yeah. is praising fatness, at least on certain parts of the body. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's one frame, the beauty frame. And then another is the health at every size frame. And this is something that is very increasingly important among clinicians. And we see it among those who work with eating disorders, mm -hmm. as well as nutritionists and, and doctors. The idea that it's not unhealthy to be fat, that you can be healthy at any size. We don't yeah. want to treat the fatness, we want to, for instance, get people more active and mm. tell them that they can be active at any size, that, that when we try to get people to exercise or change their diet in order to lose weight, it's usually unsuccessful. Even if it's successful in the short time, it's unsuccessful long term. And so we'd be better to just bracket the weight and yeah. focus on improving health without focusing on um, Unweight. So one of the other things I found really powerful about the book was you actually set out to try to measure what the effects are of, of being exposed to these various frames. Could you tell us a bit about how you tried to measure that and then what you were finding? I do this in Chapter 5, mm -hmm. and there's different ways that I discuss this. And so one is looking at history and and politics and, and, trying to, and showing examples of when, for instance, the fat acceptance movement was able to pass a law in San Francisco banning height weight discrimination by using a diversity frame and how powerful that can be. Yeah. So there's a discussion of these, one could say natural experiments, right? The, real-life experiments, yeah. real-life events. And then the other thing that I did in collaboration with a former psychology graduate student, mm -hmm. David Frederick, 
and one of my current graduate students, Kirsten Grise, is that we devised a series of experiments in which we had people, in some cases these were students, but in some cases it was a larger population uh, from the internet. Okay. We had people read different articles that talked about fatness in terms of one of our dominant frames. Okay, and so, were, these, were these actual articles, or did you write the articles? So these were actual argument, articles, the ones that I discuss in the book. We okay. also have some experiments underway in which we use constructed vignettes. The advantage of the articles is that they're closer to real life. And in a nutshell, what's interesting is that reading an article that presents a public health crisis frame, mm-hmm. so 400,000 people die every year because they're too heavy. That figure has been discredited, by the way, but there have been news articles that have reported such findings. The people who read these articles in our experiments not only perceive obesity to to be a greater health risk, a greater Mm -hmm. problem, but they're also more likely to think it's justifiable to discriminate on the basis of body weight. To me, this suggests that these, the, the way we talk about the way in which weight is framed in the press is mm-hmm. very likely to be having an effect on mm-hmm. attitudes. And all of this discussion of the obesity epidemic may be worsening stigma. And this is not just a concern, a social justice concern, but it's also a health concern because we know from other populations, African Americans for instance, that being the object of discrimination and stigma mm-hmm. has negative effects mm-hmm. on cortisol levels, on blood pressure, yeah. and it ultimately on, on heart disease and life yeah. expectancy. Yeah. Or as you mentioned in the book, people actually avoid going to seek medical attention for other issues because they feel that stigma is attached to them. Absolutely. This is this is a place that other research that I cite in the book has shown, but also the interviews that I did with people attest to the fact that many people, especially heavy women, find, experience the doctor's office as a very hostile environment. Yeah. They go in for care, and they're, they're tr- not treated with dignity. They are it told that it, whatever health problems they're presenting have to be due to their weight, that their weight in turn is due to their sloth and gluttony, that it's their fault. And sometimes doctors won't even do tests to figure out what's really the problem. And so yeah. some, you know, this can be a life or death situation. If a test needs to be done, that could have discovered a problem that could have been treated and instead the doctor says come back when you've lost 50 pounds and you heard actual stories where that was happening to women who were visiting the office right? I, I, I did, I interviewed people and when I published my op-ed in the LA Times and the mm-hmm. Washington Post you could look at the comments, many people commented yeah. and also wrote to me individually with their stories and in some cases it was a near-death story, that if they hadn't been able to get a second opinion, they wouldn't have had this life-saving test. Did you also have receive any negative reaction to the, to the posts that you were writing? Of course, yeah. very virulent negative mm-hmm. reactions. This topic is one that really strikes a nerve. Yeah. Were you surprised at all by how strong negative reactions were? Were you expecting that when you I was started? Fully, I was fully prepared, so I wasn't surprised. It's yeah. always... Um, I don't... I, frankly, I, I don't... I protect myself from them because yeah. they can be very upsetting, and so I don't read them because it, it they're they're abusive and the abuse. Now this is the type of abuse fat women 
yeah. have to deal with every day, mm -hmm. I have the luxury of being able to filter it and yeah. protect myself from it. Mm -hmm. But it is um, virulent. It's also the form of the internet, this, this anonymous form that allows yeah. for a lot of nastiness. And you'll see this also a lot of racism and sexism. Yeah. And it's unfiltered, it's mean, it's yeah. the dark side. And yeah. um, so part of it is that. Yeah, it really did reveal how strong and how dominant these frames are. Because I read the comments before we did this interview. I was looking at the articles and going through them. And the fact that people reacted that strongly for you just saying that, hey, there might be these frames that are presenting and we should consider something else. And for people to react with that much anger and hate. That's answer, right. It's amazing. I've worked very hard to talk about this in a very neutral yeah. way that I think is not especially threatening. And yeah. nonetheless, people go ballistic. Yeah. And, um, and it, it is very telling in terms of the social status of this issue. It's very controversial. It really strikes a nerve for all sorts of reasons. A lot of people are personally invested in their own weight loss projects, mm -hmm. but also in, in the social distinction, in their feeling of superiority, and in the feeling that those people who are fat, who again are often also poor, mm -hmm. are often women, somehow were, are worse than them. Mm -hmm. and, they, and the idea of challenging that hierarchy can feel very threatening to people. I was wondering if we could end the podcast by talking a bit about a recent political news story. It was from late spring, early summer, when Chris Christie revealed that he had secretly undergone lap band surgery. And he explained that he, he did this because he wanted to be there for his children in the future. The media jumped on the story, and for probably two or three weeks, there was countless dissection of what the surgery meant for the 2016 presidential race, why he really did it, what his motivation really was, what, what he was hiding. What about that coverage stood out to you? And do you think this relates to your larger argument in the book? Absolutely, it relates. I mean, the fact that Chris Christie could not be a serious candidate unless he lost weight mm -hmm. is very telling. This, it, it's telling in terms of just the importance that this issue has, the extent to which people judge others based on their weight. If he can't control his weight, how can he run the country? Right? Yeah, it's, so it's, it's a moral judgment in that it's case. It's definitely um, a moral judgment. The way that he justifies this is a health reason is mm -hmm. very common. People yeah. will say, this is, this is also, again, the socially accepted account of why people are losing weight is they're losing weight to be healthy. Mm -hmm. But actually, a, a colleague of mine, Paul Campos, for his book, it was an informal poll, but nonetheless, yeah. I think it's quite telling, asked people if they could live longer, would they gain weight mm -hmm. to add, I think it was maybe five years of their yeah. life. They yeah. would not. But they were willing, in his survey, to give up years of life to lose weight. Wow. Again, not a, it's not a random sample. It yeah. would be worth repeating it, getting it onto some, you know, the census or something. Yeah. But if we take it on, for, on face value, mm -hmm. it suggests that this, this is what people think is acceptable, but it's not the real motivation. People yeah. want to lose weight, and we see with Chris Christie men as well as women, yeah. although the pressures are greater for women, mm -hmm. because there's terrible discrimination and yeah. bias and that nobody would you know that he wouldn't may not be able to get the votes you know we've it's interesting now that we have a, our first black president to ask well could we have a fat president you know yeah. and is this is the prejudice so, so great still so great that that would not 
be possible. Well, thank you for joining us and conducting this interview. I really enjoyed reading the book. Thank you. And I recommend it to all the listeners. It was very accessible. Thank you again. My pleasure. Thank you so much.